Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Nathan Pettijohn. He's a founder and CEO at Corduroy and a talent manager. Nathan, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you're doing is actually really quite fascinating. I read your book and I have some thoughts and, and want to get your kind of opinions on, on a few things. But maybe before we get into all that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. I uh, grew up in Oklahoma, okay. in the Northeast by okay. Tulsa, a little town called Owasso. It's like a suburb, probably 15 minutes north of Tulsa. Okay. And I went to the University of Tulsa for two semesters and studied film um, and then moved to Los Angeles. What made you want to take so, film? Uh, I've always loved film. Um, just kind of like always been a passion of mine. So okay. I worked at a video store in high school. Uh, you know, went to like Please say blockbuster. (laughs) (laughs) No, No. it was uh, in between a Hollywood video and a blockbuster. Gotcha. A little grocery store called Reesers. So it was like a grocery store, video store. Okay. Okay. So you you, you get out of that. What made you um, move to LA and uh, go to film school there? Yeah. So um, I moved to LA uh, 2008 when I was 19. I went to the LA Film School. Okay. Uh, which is a one-year program. I just got an associate's there in 2009. And really the, the impetus was just, you know, film is more of a apprenticeship, you know, in my opinion, than just something you can learn in a book. Um, sure. And I actually think I read David Mamet say that in his book, <laughs> The Secret Knowledge, which is kind of ironic. But, um, you know, I moved out here, and then my first job was as an assistant okay. to a producer named Robert Lawrence who, uh, you know, made like Die Hard and Clueless back in the 90s. And That's awesome. Working on some cool, yeah, he's working on some cool projects now, but I definitely learned a lot working for him, and it kind of ties into the whole, you know, assistant admin life of seeing, you know, how effectively someone can utilize an admin. And, and that was a common thing working with, you know, a producer like that who's doing uh, creative producing is he could be on the 405 in traffic for an hour and then just call me and, we'd roll a bunch of calls and he would uh, <laughs> dictate a bunch of emails and I'd be sending emails from him saying, you know, uh, dictated, but not read by Robert Lawrence and, you know, those kinds of things, um, which a lot of it can be affected, but some of it is kind of old school. Um, you know, so like saying that versus, you know, other scheduling ways that people send a link or, you know, whatever. So, Anyway, it ties into the book a little bit, but um, yeah, the last time we talked, you hadn't read it yet, so I'm definitely curious uh, if you were able to implement anything from it or uh, questions you've got. Yeah, I, I think we'll get to that in in a few minutes, but I, I really want to cover the rest of your career up until Corduroy and why. what exactly is Corduroy and why did you decide to found it? Sure. 
Yeah, so after I worked for Robert, um, I worked on a couple of indie films doing okay. uh, random like product placement kind of gigs, okay. um, helping brand, helping com- uh, filmmakers find brands to um, either pay to be in the film or just give them free product. Um, sure. You know, there's a lot of instances where you can save money, you know, uh, just even using cars or locations that, gotcha. um, you know, you're promoting someone. So I did a couple of things like that, and that was an interest because brands were exploring more into entertainment. And there's a lot of examples of that in film and in digital now. Um, you know, when I started Corduroy, it was 2011, it's the same year that Instagram came out, and I was living in a place in downtown LA okay. called The Forge, which is like a... Uh, small little photo studio, but a lot of different photographers and people shoot there. And my roommates at the time um, were all on Instagram and they were on the suggested users to follow when Instagram launched, Interesting. which is a, yeah, it's an easy way because they're all photographers, but it's sure. an easy way to become an influencer on a platform is if you're there from the get go, you know, sure. the people that were on the suggested users to follow list on Twitter, whenever it first launched are all, you know, huge influencers now. So, you know, based on, you know, those kind of relationships and some relationships with uh, YouTube buyers and SEO um, and different social media strategies, I started Corduroy in 2011. Um, and our first couple of clients, it was really just community management, um, you know, social media kind of stuff. So, okay. So you were pretty up. early on, though. Yeah, it was, you know, it's some interesting clients. Like uh, one of our first clients was OTG Management. They own okay. a bunch of different uh uh, restaurants inside of airports where you order from an iPad. That's cool. You know, and they were kind of interesting. Like we helped them set up on Instagram and Facebook and also kind of help decide what kind of apps they should put on the iPads and those kind of experiences. Um, so early on we had some pretty big clients like that, but you know, also I found myself, you know, waking up at two in the morning to respond to people's tweets, sure. complaining about their food order, you know, they're <laughs> wanting a refund or whatever. Sure. So it had to be a way to, you know, not have to do everything myself and social media is not rocket science. Um, no. So putting together these different rules and templates was just kind of a, you know, a necessity that Corduroy dictated so I wouldn't have to keep doing that. So as I've um, grown the company and hired on more people, I just take really detailed, um, you know, notes on the process and, I make Loom videos. Loom is a Chrome extension where you can record your screen. So every single thing that I do, if it's a report or setting up an ad or launching a campaign, I'm always recording my screen and saving those into individual folders for my team members. So I don't have to train them one-on-one. I can hire people and onboard them fairly quickly. Interesting. Okay. So what made you originally start Corduroy and what are you guys doing now? Yeah. So, I mean, Corduroy, like I mentioned with the timing, you know, it was kind of, I never majored in marketing or advertising or business. And it's not that that was the passion. Um, You know, my uh, focus was in screenwriting and development. And so I loved working for Robert. He's a a really creative developmental producer. But uh, I also, in that job, dealt with a lot of writers one-on-one. I was giving them notes and you know, became friends with a lot of them and 
and Robert's got relationships with writers that span back decades. You know, I was dealing with like Ron Bass, who wrote Rain Man, and yeah, you know, all okay. these really, really impressive people to get to know. But you know, the great majority of them are living in another state, or they're selling real estate, or you know, they're not uh, just getting by by writing. Sure. <laughs> so I think that was okay, you know, just a learning lesson for me. It's like it's not giving up on writing; it was just kind of pivoting. Okay, so. Interesting. By the nature of focusing on digital, though, it's kind of come full circle in some ways. Um, so in 2015 and 16, I was actually freelancing for other companies in this space. Okay. Um, and Corduroy wasn't too active those two years. Okay. Um, so I went and I worked for different companies that specialize in buying uh, YouTube views, for instance. Sure. Um, okay. You, know, and soon, you must have learned like, a ton doing that, actually. That's actually quite fascinating. Well, there's, yeah, there's some interesting learning lessons and it did end up opening some doors just on the film side where now everything's moving to digital and, you know, just having your foot in there and understanding digital, it's kind of like people have this need now all of a sudden, you know, and I would see things on the YouTube side where you start seeing what people will skip versus what they'll actually sit there and watch. Sure. Um, and, it, and it is kind of interesting, like that we could, I started saying, you know, if I see the Geico caveman, I'm going to click skip on instinct. But sure. if I saw comedians and cars getting coffee brought to you by Geico playing before the content that I wanted to watch, I might sit there and watch it. Interesting. So, so we packaged up and sold a couple of working media packages where, um, you know, basically instead of the brand giving us an asset and saying, here's the budget, um, run this many views toward it, they would basically have the same budget, but um, we would bake in the cost of production and talent and views into one model. So it's basically just an inflated cost per view. Okay. So, so we sold a couple of those. <clears throat> we had a lot of really good case studies of um, showing that people would actually sit there and watch it and share it. And, Interesting. Um, and like, there's a there's a show called Carmilla. Yeah. That you of Kotex started up in Canada. Sure. Yeah. Being Canadian, know familiar, I know it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, so they do like 36 two-minute episodes, and that's a season for them. Sure. And I think they're on like the fourth or the fifth season, Something and I like saw that, in yeah. Variety that they're going to make a feature film. And when they ask Kotex, like, you know, hey, would you want to renew this again? They just say, like, why would we ever stop? They see this <laughs> brand lift, and like, you know, I've got these survey results. That they, sure. Did you know who the uh, sponsor was? Would you buy Kotex because of this? Would you recommend Kotex because of this? And it's all like 80% positive. Um, and the demo is like, you know, millennial, female, like it was perfect for them, but sure. possibly not a show that you or I would be super familiar with. That's fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, that was a, it was an interesting time. And I went out to a lot of different production companies and started asking what they had sitting on the shelf that I could go sell maybe shows that they had developed um, around talent as like a passion project or uh, things that they had pitched for TV and it just hadn't sold. Um, and both of those things are really interesting. Like just on the talent side, um, you know, I had things from Jeremy Renner and William Shatner. Oh, wow. Um, that Jane Lynch dropped the soap show. That was in our slate early on <laughs> from CAA. Wow. Uh, the Weinstein company was one of my partners at one point when that still mattered. Um, sure. And what was interesting there was the IP. Like I could take something yeah. like Project Runway and I could go pitch it to Macy's and say, let's do Project Runway Bridal. 
brought to you by Macy's five minute oh, okay. episodes on Facebook. Sure. So that's kind of the idea there is that you could shoot it on the same set, you know, at night with, uh, you know, influencers. Sure. And you benefit from all the branding that's been done for that uh, property. And you could do it for much cheaper and basically be incubating shows. And then on the talent passion project side, it was basically like I could go out to Enrique Iglesias, offer him $50 million to do a tequila commercial and he'll say no. But I could say, <laughs> hey, let's do something about bringing water to Africa. And he'd say yes, and he'd do it for free because that's a cause he cares about. Interesting. So, wow. so yeah, going out and finding, um, you know, kind of gold that's been underutilized, just sitting there, um, whether it's talent passion projects based on IP, um, you know, even prequels like the Weinstein's owned, uh, sure. uh, you know, Rambo, we could say, oh, well, Rambo like as a teenager, <laughs> you know, like, let's do that. Um, and there was some other things that kind of came and went like this was before Facebook had video sure. ads or Facebook watch or Facebook live. And they had a program called anthology Okay, that was being run by a guy named Howard Stein. Okay. Uh, he's not there anymore, but basically they were, pe- they were partnering with different publishers, um, to create content for brands. So they would go to vice. And they would say, we've got a deodorant brand. They want to reach millennials, uh, you know, uh, Hispanic millennials with the message high energy. Okay. What do you got? And, and they would have to churn something up. But they would also provide insights that you wouldn't normally get from Facebook. So for the month leading up to Valentine's Day, for instance, sure. they know that the people that talk about Valentine's the most are females, 14 to 28. And okay. what they talk about the most is self-gifting, like buying themselves presents. Got you. So you could take an insight like that and you could go create a show around self-gifting, um, you know, okay. or like a, an episode, you know, so basically finding co- uh, concepts, matching it with talent that already reaches that audience and then just packaging it together with a brand that'll fund it. Um, it's kind of like a content recipe in a way. Interesting. Okay. That's actually really quite, quite fascinating how, detailed and targeted you can basically build content around right yeah i mean that was the problem with the slate of concepts from the beginning was i could go to toyota i could meet with the creative director and say hey i got this great concept for you you know it's really smart here's why um and i could walk out and they could say he's a smart guy. It's a smart idea, but I like the Muppets. So we're going to do a Super Bowl spot about the Muppets, you know, and they could basically just choose willy nilly. But if you walk in and you say, here's the audience, here's what they're talking about. Here's why you should create content in this format. And with this talent, um, you can make a much better argument. But, but how did you make those connections? Because not everybody can just email or call up the creative director of Toyota or some other big brand uh, well, obviously, like you can basically get a hold of anybody through email or, or phone at this point, but whether they respond to you or not is a whole other uh, question. So how did you make those types of connections that those people will actually take a meeting or reply to your email? Well, I think it was just the nature of what I was trying to build. And you okay. know, none of it was, you know, I didn't invent any of this, but um, yeah, I mean, I know the guy that does a lot of the digital for William Shatner. So they okay. actually reached out to me okay. and I went and met with them and got a bunch of his concepts. Same thing with Jeremy Renner, same thing with the Weinstein. A lot of these 
like the the content side of it, they're very interested. It was like, you could go find someone to fund our project, please do. Um, but yeah, on the brand side, the agency side, it's a little more difficult, but if you're walking in and you say, you know, you've got a good argument for why they should listen to you and what uh, you're pitching to them, um, you know, it's just about persistence and resilience. Okay. Interesting. No, I, I, I think that's, that's actually really good advice, right? Because I think the crazy thing that I've found, and it sounds like you would agree with me, is you would be surprised at the type of people that respond to you if you genuinely reach out to them with something that will benefit them and you showcase why. The chances of them writing back to you are a lot higher than you would think. And it sounds like you would agree with that. Is that fair to say? Totally. I mean, a lot of people don't try. And mm -hmm. you know, I try to live by like, uh, what's the worst that can happen is they I say guess. no. You know, or like, you don't hear back, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> you got nothing to lose. And that goes into, you asked what Corduroy does now. Sure. And there's you know two main focuses. One is uh, digital strategy for brands. Okay. And we oversee their social, community management, influencers, paid media, and all those kind of things. Um, and then the other side is more thought leadership. So building up um, a public profile for whether it's the founder, the CEO, or individuals. So as a talent manager, I represent one woman, uh, one person, Janice Bryant Holroyd. Sure. She's the founder of uh, the Act One Group. Right. And she's the first. African American woman to own a billion dollar company, and Very cool. you know I could go on about her accolades for this entire interview. I mean, sure, she's amazing. But when I first met her, um, they needed someone to step in and, and just run her social media for about three months. This was two and a half years ago. Okay. Because the intern that was running her social uh, had to uh, go out of town. Okay. So basically, it was three months at a thousand dollars a month. Okay. Uh, to get my foot in the door. And then after those three months, I met with Janice. Okay. I presented kind of everything I'd been thinking about, looking at, um, you know, and my suggestions for why more people should know who she is and she should be more involved in speaking and on podcasts and, sure. and those kinds of things. Okay. And, um, you know, we hit it off and started working more closely with her. And, you know, I had never been a talent manager before, but a colleague of mine, recommended that I ask her and you know she said the same thing she said what's the worst that can happen she says no um, sure. so I asked her she said yes and um, we've been working closely together ever since then and wow. you know, I spent a lot of my time on on that but uh, there's other founders and CEOs where you know we help them with their blog and their videos and um, build up their social profile and write their Wikipedia page and book them to speak at events and all those kinds of things to you know build up more of their presence sure Okay. No, I, I think that's great, man. And I think that's actually really good advice for people out there. You saw an opportunity, you took it, obviously, and then you went a step further and literally were like, okay, we've been doing this, but I think we need to do these other things. And she agreed with you and you've been working with her for a couple of years now. I, I think that in itself is really good advice. Yeah, totally. And I mean, just working near her, I get to learn so much. Sure. You know, it's like someone that's running a company of that size um, and she started it from nothing and just her story is incredible. So it's like I leave meetings with her where, 
um, you know, I feel like I've had six shots of espresso when I leave. Like, <laughs> you know, what? How can I not go accomplish this? You know, it's like the kind of barriers and things that she's had to overcome in her life. It's like, sure. it definitely is uh, perspective change. No, fair enough. I I 100% agree with you. So you wrote a book. What's the book called and what exactly is the book about? Yeah, so I co-wrote a book called Zen and the Art of Admin Tasks okay. uh, with a friend of mine named Nick DeCastro. Okay. And it's a really short tactical guide. It's not meant to be a literary masterpiece. You can read it in like 30 minutes. Um, and it's just yep. about how to, how to utilize an admin to outsource your email and your calendar. Okay. So whenever I met Nick, um, which was just like a year ago, Okay. Um, I showed him what we were both working with uh, a company called Strike Social in okay. Chicago. They're also a YouTube buying company. And um, I showed him just on a screen share all these different things that I utilize for social media. Okay. Not only for my clients, but for myself. Like sure. I've been drinking my own punch. I don't post my own Instagrams. I don't um, respond to my own LinkedIn messages. Someone else is posting and commenting and doing all that stuff for me. Okay. So you know, I showed him like, here's how I've automated these systems and here's the processes and the rules. He was like, wow, this is great. I'm doing something similar with email. We should talk about it. Interesting. Um, so like maybe two weeks later, he came out to LA, uh, we grabbed a drink and we talked through all the stuff that he had written out for email. That's amazing. So he had, yeah. So he had really come up with the email rules. Um, and he handed them to me. He introduced me to Marlene, who's, um, my admin, the, uh, she lives in Florida, and he had already interviewed her from Upwork.com, hired her, okay. and then he recommended her. So maybe 10 days in of working with Marlene and really just letting go of my inbox, I told him, I was like, this should be a book. You know, so many people could uh, benefit from this, so we should sure. type it up and put it together. And and really, like, you, there's we can go into all the different things you can automate, like, you're a salesperson someone else could be updating your sales force or your crm you know if you're a business owner someone else could be sending out your invoices or processing things for you like there's a lot of things that you can automate ultimately but just starting with your email and your calendar sure. forces you to get used to letting go and just trust them like i can't just dive into my email and you know do half of the work and let marlene do the other half like I got to let her do all of it. So she learns the processes and she owns it and she knows what's coming in and out. And there's rules. Like if Janice emails me, text me. That's one of the rules. Okay. Um, Interesting. But there's only like seven kinds of emails that I get. And that's what I, we go into in the book is like, we use these kind of tools and these kind of processes and templates. If someone reaches out to me about introducing me to someone, here's how I respond. If someone reaches out about setting up a phone call or a meeting, here's how you respond and here's sure. how you set up the meeting. And it's all just kind of um, repeatable processes that a lot of times people feel like they're being uh, efficient, but they're really just sitting there spinning their wheels doing admin duties, spending hours of your day doing admin duties. And on the other end, they think, or a lot of people think that they need someone in person full time. They got to be you know, able to take out your trash or clean your car or whatever. Sure. And, and my point has been, you know, two or three hours a day is enough for someone to just manage your, your inbox, your calendar or whatever other things. Like I mentioned those loom videos earlier. So yep. like I can, I can send one of those to Marlene and request her to 
submit a Wikipedia page or, you know, do anything that she may previously not have known. Um, but she books hotels for me. She books the vet appointments for my dog, like all these kinds of things that would take hours of me spending you know, time on the phone or doing other things. She's handling it for me. She's responding to emails as me. And the result, you know, it's like, uh, the proof is everywhere. Like I, I just went to Brazil for 25 days. When I got back, my business had like doubled, wow. <laughs> you know, it's like, great. I, I was still, you know, doing phone calls and handling, you know, certain emails and texts as they came in and Marlene told me to, but you know, a lot of this, it's like, it frees you up to be able to focus on things and give you a little more perspective, um, you know, and just let go. It's like, you don't need to spend all day staring at your Instagram or on your email. Um, and when, when we wrote this, it was actually probably my favorite part because um, we put together the rules and like a draft and sent it to a company that I work with sometimes called Hippo Reads. They're a content writing company in Chicago, or based okay. in Chicago. And, uh, you know, I asked them, hey, you know, put this together as like a white paper, or a book. And so we sent them that and then went to Cuba with some of our, but me and Nick went to Cuba with some of our buddies. Okay. And by the time we got back, we had a first draft of our book sent to us. So the cool. book about delegating work, we actually delegated writing the first draft of it. To That's amazing. A company called Hippo. And, you know, it came back, <laughs> it was only like 2000 words or so. Sure. And the final maybe seven or 8,000. So I did have to, you know, uh, do a fair amount of work on it myself, but it's helpful for me to have a first draft sent to me sometimes. Sure. Um, you know, even though I like writing, it's like, Hey, I have, I've got this first draft. There's something there. Let's just improve it um, and iterate on it rather than have to start from scratch. No, I, I a hundred percent agree. I, the thing that I found fascinating about you when we first connected was I sent you a Calendly invite to actually book today's recording. And I know it's not perfect, but you basically, not in a mean way, we're basically like, there's a better way to do this, dude. Like, you don't need to use Calendly. Yeah. Um, because of, it puts a Hangouts uh, thing in it. And it doesn't burn me that often. I would say maybe less than a handful of times in a year where people are like, oh, I'm in the Google Hangouts link that the invite sent. And sure, it's not, like you could say, ah, that's not really a big deal, but it really kind of got me thinking about the whole thing because I pay 10 or 12 bucks a month for, for Calendly. I can't even remember, to be honest with you. It's It's been so inexpensive and it's been so successful that for me, I know it's not ideal, but it... I would say 80 plus percent gets the job done, maybe higher than that, maybe less than that, depending mm -hmm. on who I'm talking to. But when you and I connected and you kind of mentioned it to me, it really got me thinking about automating and, and kind of outsourcing, not just booking Calendly stuff or, or calendar events, but, but a lot of the stuff that I do because there's a ton of tools out there and I think the simplest example that most people can relate to that probably haven't thought about it is take something like Uber. Uber only really built maybe 10, 15, 20% of 
Uber's technology. The rest of what Uber is doing is utilizing Google Maps, um, some sort of calling API. I, I, the name escapes me off the top of my head um, who they're using. But realistically, they leveraged a ton of other services to basically build their entire business. And they really only built maybe 20, 10 to 20% of the of the Uber platform custom. And that really got me thinking when I was reading um, your book and when we talked a couple of months ago about this whole thing. So walk us through your thoughts around some of this stuff and actually outsourcing these tasks to people and or software because that to me got me really thinking i think it's actually quite fascinating and a lot of people struggle with letting that go yeah no that's a great point i mean it's not everybody's going to have the same needs as i have sure. but in the book i break out um you know we have a section of just tools here's the software we use yep. and you know it's all kind of templatized the idea is that you could just change my name for your name and copy sure. and paste this book and hand it to an admin but, you know, I use like Todoist yep. and everybody on my team is on Todoist. If something, a certain email comes in and triggers a rule, that um, means that Marlene needs to assign a task to me and Todoist with a certain uh, due date or assign it to someone else on the team. Um, I use Eva by Voicera to record my calls sure. and transcribes them. Um, you know, there's a certain like tools that I like that I think plug in really well and we lay them out in the book, but yeah, I mean, there's things like Google Hangouts and, you know, all these different things that, you know, I am very, um, I don't know if it's like OCD or, sure. uh, you know, it's like, I just have a very, uh, I'm opinionated about like for social and for all these things, like there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Okay. And if there's not, it's just kind of like my opinion. Sure. And, and so when I see people send out invites and I get them all the time from other CEOs and people that I deal with, where they'll send out an invite or their assistant will send out the invite and it's got a hangout and I can't find the dial in and they sent, yep. you know, the location wrong. And it's just like, it's very clear to me since I wrote the book when something comes in wrong um, or when clients ask like, Hey, we want you to do zoom or want you to be on Slack or I want you to do this. And, like I've got the tools that I know are going to work for my process. You know, okay. I don't need to jam in more tools on top of it. And to some extent, like you know, more tools is not always better. So, sure, interesting. You know, my opinion on those Calendly links, and it probably works for you because the only people you're sending that link to are people you're ready to book. But I see people in all various fields sending those kinds of links, like you know, book a phone call with me, and to a big CEO that I know and. My opinion of that is basically if anyone can, that has access to that link can grab a time in your calendar, then your time is not very valuable. And that's yeah. the first quote that we put at the beginning of the book. It's about, you know, time is the coin of your life. You decide how you're going to spend it. Um, you know, so otherwise, like I would rather Marlene has the rules of what times of day I'm open, what days of the week, and she's responding as me. Sure. Because even that same trip in Cuba, you know, we were there with friends who also have businesses and there's very little internet there. Sure. And we would, we would go to a, you know, hotel or somewhere that had internet and we would check our phones and me and Nick would be there. You know, I just kind of like scrolling through our messages, seeing people saying, you know, 2 PM on Tuesday sounds great. Thanks for the quick response. You know, like sure. 
people, people do appreciate that you're being um, prompt and getting back to them and, you know, the rules are being followed. So, you know, it's, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be responded to. I'm just saying that there's no reason that you have to do it. Um, you know, and meanwhile, our other friends in Cuba were frantically responding to emails and trying yeah. to catch up and all these things. It's like, it's easier to catch up if you never fall behind. And if you have enough rules and processes in place, um, you know, you really shouldn't. Yeah. No, it it is quite fascinating. And that's one thing I've had to deal with in the past is, you're right, you have this public URL access to your calendar. And to be brutally honest with you, I have a few of them, right? That if they get in the wrong hands, or I've had times where you send the link to somebody to be on the show and that person booking it for somebody else is like, oh, well, I would really like to do a show as well. And they just book as well. And you're like, they're like, oh, hopefully it's cool that I'm going to be on the show too. And you're like, well, no, like I approved the person you sent me originally to be on the show, not right. you. And maybe they have something awesome and I want them on the show, but sometimes you basically have to say, mm, sorry, you're not a fit, right? But then you kind of jeopardize that relationship because you want the person they recommended originally, but you don't want them, right? And so if I had um, an admin actually handling that for me, that situation wouldn't happen or they would legitimately say, um, Hey, this person also wants to be on the show, Kevin. Do you, how do you want to respond? Right. Instead of the, just having access to my calendar to just automatically say, Hey, I booked this date looking forward to chatting. And I have to go back to them and say, mm, actually no. Right. Or, or maybe yes, but I've had to say like, mm, no, sorry, man. I, I don't really want to have you on the show in a, in a nice way. And it's uncomfortable. Totally. Right? So I totally get that. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I'd much rather if someone that I don't really know emails me about a meeting, Marlene's going to text me and say, Hey, is this okay that sure. I get this? Sure. And I'd rather approve those things and go through um, another resource and just having her in my email. Yeah. You know, it's like I, the way that I, uh, deal with people I feel like has gotten more professional since I hired her because sure. I know someone else is reading my notes and I'm not going to be rude or passive aggressive in an email yeah, to someone. Not that I did that a lot from the beginning, but it's definitely something I've noticed where, you know, like everything that I send, there's a certain way and things that I'm saying, um, you know, and the times that I do get rude, passive aggressive emails into me, you know, I'll get, uh, you know, I'll talk to Marlene about it, and she's like, "Man, what what's this person's problem?" <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, interesting. Like, why, are they, why are they being so rude? Because we're being professionals. Um, you know, so I think having someone else in your inbox can, you know, it, that can teach you something. And then just even the process of laying out your rules and processing your inbox. Like if you go get the Loom Chrome extension, which is yeah. free, and let your emails build up to a hundred unread emails, and then just sit down for an hour and process them and maybe you're moving them into folders. Maybe, um, you know, you're jotting notes saying, Oh, this is another info email. This is another one of these. Uh, this is a new client X that needs to go here. You know, there's 
there's definitely uh, repeatable things coming in through your inbox. You know, like one of the lines we say in here is like, your mind and business may be special, but your inbox is not. Sure. You know, there might be opinion emails that I have to respond to. And sure. those are flagged as opinion emails that I need to respond to. Otherwise, sure. pretty much everything else, there's a template. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think, and I don't mean this to sound like I have a big ego or arrogant or any way, shape, or form, but I think the thing that people forget sometimes is when other people get a lot of email, it's not that they don't want to respond to you. It's just there's so many factors that can take them longer or maybe it's a shorter email than you would like or it comes across kind of short and rude. It's just people are busy, right? And having mm -hmm. somebody to take care of mindless tasks is the wrong word for it, but things that you can outsource to other people to just handle, if they can cut your inbox by 20% or higher, that frees up so much time for people. Like, I, and I'll be brutally honest. I work full time at a day job as a chief design officer at a startup. I'm busy during the day. I do the show as a fun hobby side project that I love doing. Like, don't get me wrong, but there's times where I don't get back to somebody show related for sometimes up to a week just because it's it's one of those things it's like, "Oh, I can't answer them now. I'll I'll answer them later." But later doesn't come for a few days and I feel bad about it. But if I I don't have an admin assistant right now doing that other than my auto scheduling that we talked about a few minutes ago. And so I've been heavily thinking about getting somebody like that to handle the stuff that I can get back to them or they can get back to somebody within a reasonable amount of time instead of, you know, maybe them being a week or so out because you kind of, well, personally, selfishly, I kind of feel like an asshole if I get back to somebody a week later with a response with the like, because nobody cares the reason, right? They, you just say like, sorry, it took me so long to get back to you. Here's my response. I, I never try to like give them an excuse. Like I was traveling or I was busy because it's realistically sure. nowadays, other than, a handful of places on the planet, you basically have internet at all times, right? And so I right. should, in theory, be able to get back to them in a reasonable amount of time. So it's something that I've been heavily thinking about, kind of struggling with myself. And part of the reason I really wanted to have you on the show was to talk about it, right? Because I think so many people don't realize when you get to a certain point in your career you're not trying to be an asshole, but it takes longer to get back to some people than you would like. Do you agree with yeah, that or what critical. are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, same thing with updating your, you know, Salesforce opportunities sure. or processing invoices and responding to people quickly, you know, um, it's important. So, you know, I would say it's not as expensive as a lot of people might imagine. Like I, my admin has to do a lot of different things, but okay. I'm paying like eight hours a week, maybe like $16 an hour comes out to like 600 bucks a month. 
Okay, that's and really inexpensive, for, actually. Yeah, and you could get someone for much less hours than that. You know, my inbox is very full. Um, but there's also more tasks that, like, as you go through it, you might say, um, well, we could use X, Y, and Z for outreach because my outreach sure. letters um, to my wish list guests are always pretty much the same. Sure. And maybe I say, I loved you on the show or whatever, and you personalize it a little bit. But otherwise, maybe you have your admin pulling together a spreadsheet of names and then you go through it and put a yes or a no to sign off on them and then they can populate it with the contact info and they can go spend the time to find the email addresses and then send them the email saying, hey, you know, I'd love to have you on the show. And you can automate that kind of outreach. Sure. I do it for my clients. I'm pitching my clients to be on um, podcasts and TV shows and those kinds of things, um, reaching out to Instagram accounts and, um, you know, mailing things, uh, like physical addresses and emailing by hitting them from all these different angles, but it's all from my team and the templates and it really does work. You know, that kind of outbound, um, nurturing that otherwise you wouldn't be doing because you have the full-time job. It's just happening in the background. Um, so, you know, I do the same thing from my accounts. It's, DMing people about my book saying, Hey, would you like a free copy? And sure. you know, would you post about it or X, Y, and Z? It's like, I'm not sending those personally, but I did approve of the targets and I approved of the copy. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different ways that you can templatize this and utilize the processes. I just recommend starting with letting go of your email and your calendar first sure. because it teaches you to let go. And we're all just so obsessed with our phones. You know, yeah. like I work in social media, but if I had kids, I feel like I would not let them on social media. I feel like it's just 100%. You know, ruining the way, <laughs> ruining the way kids are uh, thinking and acting. Yeah. Well, I also think it's ruining some adults as well, but yes, uh, I yeah. have kids and um, being 35 and I have a four year old and a almost two year old, they're obviously not on social media yet. And I try to limit the, amount of times that their pictures get uploaded to social media, but that's a whole other topic. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally understand. But you, the thing that I found, I I finished your book three days ago, just so you have some context, because I wanted it cool. really fresh before we recorded. Um, it, The stuff that you talk about in the book is very much you can make those changes overnight or as slow as you want them to do, but they really don't cut down on your freedom to actually get involved in maybe scheduling your own certain meetings or replying to certain emails or handling certain day-to-day things if you set those rules with the person you hire to handle those other things. I know that's a very simplified version of what you guys talk about in the book, but is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I still handle some scheduling, but okay. for the most part, you know, I have a lot of friends that text me and say, hey, can we talk at 11 o'clock or can okay. we meet tomorrow for coffee? And like every time someone texts me, it doesn't matter who they are, really, unless it's okay. like someone like Janice. Sure. I always say, email me. You know, if you email me the details, it will get set up. Okay. You know, so you don't have your assistant checking your text messages just so I'm No, clear. I, I still okay. own my text. Interesting. Okay. No, fair enough. I, I just wanted some clarification on that. So you tell them to email you. 
yeah, I'd rather she had, it all goes through one single source because she has an idea. She knows, you know, what times and days I'm open for phone calls versus okay. meetings versus going across town. Um, you know, so like, sure. I've got that all set up. And if people text me about setting up a meeting, I, I just tell them, hey, email me because I've taken calendar out of my mind completely. Okay. No, the sure. goal here is not that I'm lazy or that I don't have, you know, ambition or any of that kind of stuff. Like I like working and I like being creative, but I'd much rather spend my time on value generating activities. Sure. It's obviously valuable for my invoices and emails and everything to be on point, but yeah. a lot more valuable if I'm sitting here working on a project or like moving something forward from, you know, a strategy perspective rather than spending three hours processing emails and then feeling like I was productive today because I just responded to all my emails. No, that's fair. Yeah. So I'm curious though, and I've joked with my friend, immediate friend group about this, um, that I was going to send them basically like a Calendly invite and they can like book time, basically post five o'clock on the evenings and weekends if we, if we want to hang out. But my question to you is, do you get your admin to handle some of the your personal time as well as your professional time? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I have her book hotels for me. She handles all the you know vet appointments for my dog. Sure, you she's mentioned got, that. Yeah, yeah, she's got the login for uh, the app where I go to yoga, so she'll book my yoga classes. Okay, like, anything and everything you can hand off to this person, I would hand it off. Okay, um, I want to have. Just the same way that you might have your bills on auto pay and have yeah. paperless billing and those kinds of things that frees up your inbox or your, your mailbox and you're not sitting there writing checks every week or every month. Um, it's like one more thing you can take off your plate. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's interesting. So you'll send, you'll get your buddies, if you're booking like a beer or sushi night with your buddies, you'll get your admin to handle booking that for you. Yeah, usually I'll just That's awesome. text her or email her and say, hey, add this, rather than me adding to the calendar. She owns the calendar. Okay. So is she basically on call for you um, or a max, a min max hours a week? Or how does that kind of work? Yeah, the eight hours a week, it's kind of like split up 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Uh, got like you. you don't need to sit down and bulk and do a bunch of things at once. Okay. Um, and she's based in Florida and I'm okay. here in California. So it's helpful for me that she's three hours ahead. Um, sure. She's been an executive assistant before. She's, you know, uh, polished and well-spoken and uh, writes well. All those things are important. I wanted someone in America that speaks English really well. It's, you know, a similar time zone, but a little ahead of me. So sure. by the time I wake up, she's already processed and, um, you know, responded to a bunch of things. Um, you know, and that helps out my mornings a ton. Sure. Because you mentioned in the book how you met her, but do you want to cover how you found her? Uh, yeah, well, Nick did the interviews, but it was just on Upwork.com. Okay. And, you know, we have no relationship with that site, but there's Freelancer and, you know, various other sites to do this. And, uh, you know, you can set your, your search parameters, um, you know, I think based on like reviews and pay and location experience, we were looking for someone really high end. that's going to do a really good job. We weren't looking for the cheapest option. And then we set up video interviews with all of them, okay. um, and, which Nick handled. And Marlene was actually the first person he interviewed and then did a few more interviews and came back and uh, hired her. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty seamless, like there's a lot of really good options out there. Um, and if the rules are, are written more uh, specifically enough, then I think you solve a lot of the problems. Like a lot of people, you know, like Tim Ferriss wrote about this like 10 years ago. Um, sure. but like a, a lot of people want to hire an admin, they want to outsource things, but it's like, where do I start? You know, sure. how do I show them I'm, I'm hundred miles away from them. You know, what, what are they going to do first? Sure. So that was the point of this book is like, here's a couple of rules you can give them based on these two tasks. There's a lot of other things you can outsource to them. Um, but if you write out the rules, this specifically give them examples, give them templates, um, give them the tools and the logins and everything they need. There should really be no excuse if they screw up. Sure. And day one, it's not like she was perfect. There were typos, there were, you know, wrong zip code on a calendar invite. Like there's been mistakes for sure. Sure. Um, but it's something that, you know, every time that happens, say, hey, Marlene, add X, Y, and Z to the rules. And I've just got everything I do is in G Drive. So it's like a right. shared Word doc okay. where she just adds that to the rules. And it's kind of like a living document. And we've got other rules and templates for our clients. Um, and everybody that works for me has access to those and kind of constantly updates them because, yeah, like on the first crack, you're not going to get it perfectly. But rather than freak out and say, I need to take this over, you know, I would say just nurture it, give them guidance, add to the rules, improve it. Um, but, you know, you'll set them up for success if you give them a really specific tasks and timelines. And again, Tim Ferriss has done a lot of, um, you know, YouTube videos about sure. this and, uh, you know, doing tests, maybe just saying like, do this one task over the next 24 hours and send it back to me, you know, and you can test someone like that and see if they do a good job before you hire them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he's written a lot about this and I'm a big fan. So it's just like, you know, a lot of these tools change so fast and he didn't really go specifically into email and calendar. So sure. I felt like this was still helpful. No, that makes a lot of sense actually. So, I'm curious, did you meet Marlene in person yet, or is it still just kind of been over the internet? I've never met her in person. Interesting. No, I like I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think a lot of people would probably feel uncomfortable with that, right? Like somebody that's handling some of your intimate details of your professional life, not meeting them in person, they probably would struggle with that a bit so how did you get over that a little bit or what made yeah, you I mean, trust there's, her there's professions where it wouldn't work you know my neighbor is a banker you know and sure you'd have to you'd have to hire an assistant in person but okay. the rules and the templates still apply it's like right even if you are a doctor or a lawyer or something where you know everything's really privileged and confidential like you can still use these templates to hire an admin in person and okay. make them more effective um, so the argument isn't that it has to be the process that I have. Got you. Um, but other people that say, you know, I've got really confidential emails to come in and this, and I, you know, I'm the only one that can do that. It's like, you know, I, I work with, you know, some pretty important people, including sure. Janice Bryan Howroyd. You know, it's like I had to have Marlene sign a, you know, plethora of NDAs and right. you know, different things um, to feel comfortable, but. You know, I do feel comfortable with her and I do trust her. And, you know, if she ever breached that uh, uh, contracts, I think she'd probably be in a lot of trouble. Sure. Um, but, you know, that isn't to say that I don't, um, you know, 
try to protect certain things like anything with a VIP, VIP emails like Janice, like I'm the only one that's responding to those. So there's no action that she has to take other than text me that the email came in. Um, You know, and I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, I have to be, you know, more hands-on on that, on certain accounts where, you know, I, it's obviously privileged and confidential kind of stuff. Right. I might, I guess the answer to your question is people always feel that way. People always think I'm the only one that can handle my inbox. That sounds, it sounds like a great idea for you, but that would never work for me. Like that's the first response I get to anyone that I tell the book about the book. Yeah. I say kind of see it and understand it. They're like, Oh, okay. Well maybe I can't outsource all of these things, but I can at least outsource this, this, and this. And you know, like there's, uh, you know, processes that could be put in place either way. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I, I actually think that's really good advice. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show, so let's maybe close with people where people can get more information about you guys at Corduroy and actually go pick up a copy of the book. Cool. Books on Amazon. Um, and actually, <laughs> I didn't even really get into the the bestseller stuff, but uh, there's one other company I'll mention before I go sure. that I work with called Scribe Media. Okay, uh, they're in Austin. They were started by Tucker Max. Sure, and uh, their process is really cool too. They interview you for a series of like 40 hours, and then they transcribe the interview and turn that into a book. Okay, interesting. And, it's, and they don't call it ghostwriting because they're using your words and and your ideas. Um, and I wrote an article about them recently. Okay. But uh, I've worked with them on a number of books and on their marketing campaigns. So they did the book launch for me. Um, if you see the publisher on my book is Lioncrest. That's yep. their imprint. Okay. And uh, so they did the launch for me because they can guarantee any nonprofit or uh, nonfiction book on Amazon to be a bestseller. So, you know, they, they discount it and they send it to a big enough email list and, you know, just a couple of little tactics like that. And for the week of, uh, I think it was the July or August of this year for a week, we were number one bestseller in like four categories. Congrats, man. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's easy to do, but that's kind of the point is you hear a lot of people saying this was number one bestseller and all those kind of things. So it was just kind of a test to, to also see that. Um, but I think all those kind of processes and, you know, there's vendors out there that can write your content, that can compile it, put it together, um, help make you a thought leader. And, um, you know, I think that these kind of services are really valuable, especially if you have something interesting and valuable to say. Sure. So um, I'll close with that. The book is called Zen and the Art of Admin Tasks. It's on Amazon. Um I'm on LinkedIn, Nathan Pettyjohn, and my socials are at NR Pettyjohn. Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day, man. Likewise. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.